Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Usually joining me is my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate, but he is... Uh, he's got the week off for vacation. He's celebrating the birthday of his girlfriend, Brandy. So happy birthday, Brandy filling in for Wayne is one of the hosts of the play disc podcast. And he's the man behind the hashtag John's Twitter listening party. <laughs> Please welcome to the podcast, John Porabell. Hey, thanks for having me on Ben. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Uh, thank you for subbing for Wayne. Appreciate Anytime that. brother. So for this episode, we have a special guest. Her most recent record is a self-titled record released in February of 2020. And we're going to talk about that record along with a really good record as well. Please welcome to the podcast musician Casey Clifford. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, we ask the all-important question, what t-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with John. What t-shirt are you wearing? Ben, you know me. Do you, would you care to Uh-oh. take a guess? I'm going to I'm gonna guess that you're wearing a Billy Joel uh, t-shirt. Am I right? You are 100% correct. I'm wearing the Fantastic. Billy Joel tour t-shirt that I got when I saw him uh, in 2008 in Columbus, Ohio. It's got, uh, it's got his logo in black and uh, behind it a background of like all his album covers. Perfect. Casey, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing? I am currently wearing a Woody Guthrie Folk Festival t-shirt. Woody, of course, hails from my home of Oklahoma, and we have a great festival every year in Okima, and uh, it's one of my most fun events I play every year. And so I thought I'd, since we're talking about songwriters tonight with this record, I figured I'd give Woody a nod. Very good. And I'm going to assume that that festival is not going to happen. It is going to happen virtually, actually. So they're going to do that, and I'll be a part of that. So, um, yeah, just keep people safe, but still let the music sing on. There you go. Good job. All right. Well, I'm I'm wearing a a T-shirt from a local musician, Hannah Harbour and the Lionhearts. Uh, If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll know that Hannah picked a Patty Griffin record about a year ago. And so we did uh, Silver Bell. If you're nice. With that. So, so not, not the first time that we have done a Patty Griffin episode. That's good to hear. Yes. So, um, so let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Casey Clifford before we talk about Patty Griffin, though. Okay. What do you want to know? So did I read right that it's been like eight years since your last record? It has. It has. Since my last studio record, um, I came off the road to become a mom. And um, I thought I'd get back on the road pretty quickly after my daughter was born. And then we discovered that she kind of hates the road. And so um, we had to kind of adjust our plans. And I I stayed home uh, for eight years and then made this record to kind of get back out. And then, of course, the world stopped turning. And so so here we are. But I I am so proud of it. And I'm so glad to be back at it in whatever form um, I'm allowed to be at this time. Yeah, bad bad timing. We've been talking to a lot of musicians who have put records out, and they're like, "We were planning on being on the road to promote yeah. it, and now we're doing Instagram lives." Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's so surreal, really. Um, and there's a lot of grief in that, 
you know, just having to acknowledge, wow, this was a big dream and, and it's changed and that's okay. You know? Um, but it's, it's pretty trippy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you, you chose what wisely, I mean, to, to raise, raise kids. I mean, that's always first priority. In fact, John and I were just talking a little about, about our kids, uh, prior to this, cause we're, we're, we're dads through okay. all of the chaos of the world right now. Yes. Uh, yep. So, so, so how do you, how did you guys maintain the creative spark, uh, you know, while you're, while you're raising little ones? Cause I, I will tell you, I, I walked away from music criticism in late 2004. Um, cause I had my third kid at that point and I just couldn't juggle everything. And yeah, you weren't on man to man anymore. You went to no. zone. Uh, defense. Exactly. Exactly. Um, how did, you know, how do we maintain the creative spark? Well, my husband's a musician as well. Um, and so we have a creative household. Um, and I think that at first I didn't, I mean, the truth is as being a mom, my kids are the most creative thing I've ever done. They're the most beautiful work of my life. Um, from growing inside me to just getting to watch their lives unfold in front of me and getting to be the closest witness to that. Um, that's the coolest creative thing I could ever be a part of. And I lived a long time wanting to be a mom. I'm an older mom. I'm in my mid forties. Um, and my kids are, my son just turned five this week. Um, and so my kids are five and seven. Okay. Um, and, uh, we went through years of infertility. And so when I finally got to be a mom, um, I really thought I'd get back on the road, like I said, and then it just didn't. Beatrice, my oldest, was she just doesn't have the temperament to be a road baby, and um, it was just hard. You know, the <laughs> the showtime is bedtime, and you know, there's no such thing as a baby-proof green room. And oh. um, you know, my husband played with me at the time; he still does play guitar with me, and so um, we're both on stage. So then you're talking about like the economics of bringing a sitter or having someone in a strange town, watch your kid, you know, just, it just wasn't ideal. Um, so for a while, I, I really questioned whether my music career would move forward at all, or even just my life as a writer. Um, but then I would sing songs in the middle of the night to both my babies, you know, and you've like creativity happens, music happens. It just looks really different. Um, and then about a year after Beatrice was born, I think I wrote my first song, after becoming a mom, I took about a year just completely silent, um, dormant. And then I would find these little nooks and crannies. And then I started a co-writing relationship with a guy named Dan Walker, who's out of Seattle, originally from Oklahoma. And we'd played together for a long time and I asked him to help me finish a song. And, um, so then it ended up that every time he would come into town, which his folks are here. So it was pretty regular. We would, I would schedule a time to write. And so I kind of marked off my calendar and I put it back on the list through co-writing, which was not anything I'd ever done before. Um, and then lo and behold, we ended up with a whole record. Very cool. Very cool. This record is very, um, piano centric. I I tried to listen to some of your earlier records to hear some. And organ though. Yeah. And organ (laughs) as well. Um, and, and those previous records were like more guitar centric uh, or did I just not listen to enough of your back catalog? No, you're, you're right on. Um, this record is a total departure from my previous sound. Um, and part of that is the co-writing that I did with Dan. Dan's a pianist, um, and organ player. And, um, he, uh, 
he does a lot of touring now. He's the uh, keyboardist for Heart. Um, and he's played with John Fulbright and he's in Amy Ray's band when she puts on the big show. Um, so he, he gets around before all that, he was just in my little band and some other local bands here in Oklahoma. Um, but he, uh, yeah, it's his chops that kind of drove that piano thing. And I loved stepping out from behind the guitar. That was a real gift to me to get to put the guitar down and just be a singer again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to your back catalog. So teeth marks on my tongue might be my favorite record title ever. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Let's, let's talk about the current record though. So salt first single off your record. What's a, what's the story behind that song? Um, salt was actually the first song that we wrote together that Dan and I, the song I asked Dan to help me come finish. It's a song about empathy. Um, I think we're in a real pickle as members of the human race, especially in America right now. Um, there's so much division and so much, um, just picking of sides and factions and, and just, just on, on, on all, on all accounts, people are, have kind of lost their basic human respect and kindness for one another. And, um, that song's really a call to kindness. It's a call to see the, the inherent beauty of our sameness as humans, that when you boil us down, we all have so much in common. Um, the basic human emotions are all the same and we all outwork those different and our stories look different. But, um, but at the end of the day, I can really boil down the things that we would have in common together on a human level. And I think we need a bit more of that. Um, and so that's, that's what that song's about. Is that, a, is that one of the reasons why I don't see you real active on Twitter? Oh, you know, Twitter <laughs> is just, there's just super not enough words for me. My husband is active on Twitter and I kind of feel like I let him have that as his playground. Um, and I take Facebook and Insta a bit more. I do a lot of microblogging on Insta. Okay. Um, but yeah, my husband is a like a tw- like a Twitter crazy person and I just, it's not my thing. I... I'm I'm really starting to hate the socials other than John's Twitter listening party. <laughs> I'm going to have to log into I mean I'm going to have to find that hashtag and 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 see what that's all about. I I kind of I kind of started it. So I I You I, you goaded me into it a little bit. I, I did. <laughs> you were I did. coerced. I did a little bit. <laughs> Well, Ben, you were the one that made up the hashtag. I was already doing it, but you added the hashtag to it and sort of uh marketed we, it. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a, a Tim's Twitter listing parties. Oh, so okay. I don't know if you, so I don't know if you guys are are know Tim Burgess, who is the lead singer of the the Charlatans, uh, UK band, okay. and. Um, one of the things that he's been doing during the, the, the lockdown pandemic, whatever we, whatever we're calling this. Um, so he started inviting some of his friends to, okay, at this point, we're going to all listen to the same record and the person or persons who made the record, they'll tweet about the songs that we're listening to. And so he's had Lloyd Cole on, he's had, um, one of the guys from New Order, uh, Simon LeBon from Duran Duran. Oh my gosh. To, he's supposed to be coming on in a couple of weeks. Um, so it's just been amazing. I mean, it's it. And I kind of got sucked into it because we had um, Jonah's police woman. So she, she, we just recorded with her and she did one of the listening parties. And um, so I kind of got sucked into it. And, and I'm always doing the engagement thing on the socials so i'll post whatever record that i'm listening to during the day while i'm working and um you're way better at that than i am i I'm really because i think i suck at it <laughs> everybody thinks they suck at it that's the thing about social media <laughs> yeah 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 so 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 i posted uh one of the one of the billy joel records what what was the first one that i did streetlight it was uh yeah street life serenade and what was funny was that just the day before you posted that, I had just been randomly like mowing the lawn and I thought, hey, what about that second Billy Joel album, Street Life Serenade? That was a good record that nobody ever talks about. And then nothing, thought passed. Next day I log in, I see you're listening to it. And I'm like, oh my God, now I have to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I put it on, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. <laughs> I love that. When I, when I put it on, I was like, oh, I have thoughts that need to come out now. Okay. <laughs> so I did a tweet storm. There were 34. Four tweets uh, about this record, and then That's a lot of thoughts. <laughs> and then a few days later, Ben is like, "Hey, now I'm listening to Turnstiles." And then that's when he made up the hashtag. He was like, "Hey, John." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> I had other plans tonight, but okay." <laughs> yeah, I totally go to you. I and I and I almost put on I almost put on Fifty Second Street the other night, and I'm like, "No, John's going to be pissed off if I uh, go to him into <laughs> another one of these listening parties." So I will. I will do more of these. <laughs> but, I, I, I don't doubt uh, it. All right. Yeah. All right. We've totally gone down a, a wrong path. All right. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go back to Casey's record. So I really loved Ophelia, and maybe it's the uh, the Shakespeare fan in me. If you throw out a Hamlet character as a title, I'm I'm all about it. Was that just a happy coincidence for the song name, or is is there a Shakespeare reference there? Um, there, well, I love Shakespeare and I love Ophelia as a character. I identified with her a lot as a young person. Um, actually that the, the real inspiration from that song, the initial inspiration was a t-shirt that I bought in like year 2004 that said, had you, have you seen Ophelia? And it was a picture of a cat, super random. Um, but I, it it got me thinking about kind of the parts of myself that no longer served me that I kind of had let go of and said goodbye to. And, um, the part that, that identified with Ophelia kind of a bit hysterical and a bit, you know, uh, dramatic. Um, I felt like that was a part of my younger self that I was no longer 
meeting and I needed to kind of have a formal goodbye. And so that's what that song was about. And that song was actually written on guitar. That's the oldest song on the record. Um, And it was a really fast strummy song, really angsty. And um, then 12 years later, we had, I tried to put on a live record in 2008 and the something glitched in the recording and we only had one pass of it. So we couldn't, we couldn't put it out. And um, so when we were kind of looking at catalog for this album and trying to kind of find something, we knew we needed something with a six feel. And um, I threw this one out to Dan and he put it in his fingers. And then Will, my producer said, Hey, Hey, slow that down. And the minute that it settled into that place that it is on the record, it just opened up this whole new world. And it was like the song had grown up um, in this really beautiful way. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album for sure. Wow. Okay. Now now I want to hear the demo version. Oh. <laughs> I want to hear I can... what the evolution is. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and I got I, I'm assuming that's you on the harmonies. There's a few Onophilia, harmonies. Yes, it is. Yes. I have to ask you about the record cover. Okay. So it's you in front of a bookcase that has a ton of records, and I detected Journey's Escape as one of the record <laughs> covers. Is that your collection? Yeah, hey, I've got that one. <laughs> we have a collection, but that is not my collection. That collection is in a, a restaurant uh, in downtown Oklahoma City called the Jones Assembly. It was okay. built in an old um, Fred Jones uh, car assembly place at the edge of film row in Oklahoma city. And at, in the upstairs, they have this thing called the tea, the tea lounge. And, um, my friend Graham Colton, who is also a songwriter recording artist, who's kind of walked away from that part of his life for more of a business, um, identity, but he, um, it, he's the owner of the restaurant and he built, he had a custom record player built and then filled the walls with records. And so I wanted some place that kind of had an indoor vibe like mm-hmm. that. And so that's so Graham let us shoot there. Gotcha. All right. So, so what's in your record collection? Oh gosh. Well, so here's, here's a, a disclosure just for the whole conversation tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm, I am married to a wonderful man named David and he is a major vinyl collector, record collector. Like he would be the guy who would go to your listening party and you guys would just go back and forth talking music all night long. He's a total music geek. And, um, so a lot of the cooler records are my husband's. Um, <laughs> but we have a, we have a whole, a whole collection, but I, I have, um, yeah, I have Patty Griffin. I have Joni Mitchell. I have, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. I have B 
Beatles, Beach Boys, all of those things. I'm also the daughter of a record collector. So okay. my dad had a 45 from every hit from like 1955 to the late 60s. Um, so he has a, nice. a collection of singles. Um, and uh, so I grew up with record spinning of kind of all the classics and and he was a big folk music guy. And so um, so I, I cut my teeth kind of on on those kind of songwriters, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and the Kingston Trio, and the Beach Boys, and of course, Paul Simon. But those were all my dad's early influences. So, so I have a lot of that in my collection as well. Gotcha. And all my right. kids have record collections. Awesome. That's the other thing to know. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. My husband, every year for their birthday and Christmas, he buys them a new record. And um, he calls it their Rockucation. Okay. And um, <laughs> so he, uh, they each have their own. And then if they're at a concert and they choose to buy a record of their own, then of course they get to have one. My, my daughter's a huge Joan Jett fan and she actually oh. got to meet Joan in October and cause oh. they were touring, touring with heart. And right. so Dan got us backstage and, um, and Joan signed her album. And it was like, I was like this, what do you, what do you do after you give your daughter Joan Jett for her seventh birthday? Like what, how do you top that? Like, what? <laughs> so, but so she has a pretty fun record collection too. That's awesome. So, so what, what records are you buying for the kids on their birthdays then? Um, well, it's my husband that buys them. So that's really a question for him. And it, okay. it, it runs the gamut. You know, he, he is a very, he has a very diverse musical taste, but he's very discriminating. Um, so, and he has very specific reasons. Sometimes it's new, like he'll buy something that's like a issued this year. And then sometimes he'll, and I think he has a system, like maybe he buys, an older, like something vintage, um, for their birthday. And then something that came out that year for, for Christmas or something, there's a way that he does it. He's very particular, but also not very verbal. So I don't ever really know what his methods are. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. All right. Well, um, we, we ask all of our guests and, and I'll ask my guest co-host as well. Uh, so the transition question from interview to the record that you choose. So, Toto's Africa, good or bad song? Oh, hell yeah. Great song. Okay. All right. Wayne's not here to to defend his uh, cranky uh, side. So Uh, I'll sub in for Wayne today. I I don't care for that song. Okay. (laughs) Wayne, Wayne. I feel uncomfortable. Wayne really likes you now, John. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel uncomfortable that this song is having such a moment because it's kind of. Can we even talk about Africa the way they talk about Africa? That's that seems like we're not supposed to. <laughs> right, right. Um. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 not talking about the the real Africa. We're just talking about the song because uh, yeah. Uh, There's a song in uh, in the musical The Book of Mormon called "I Am Africa" that kind of plays with that same concept. Such a yeah. great show. <laughs> it ends with the lines Africans are African but we are Africa <laughs> <laughs> which is that's how I feel about Toto's Africa I got it we're we I'm, I'm a hold the line man we're yeah there you go um so we're we're going to retire that question soon today and, this is it uh no soon <laughs> soon soonish we're working we're working on something of trying to get somebody from Toto to actually come on the podcast. And then at that point, Ooh. we're we're 
we're done with it. So we've been entertaining and I've, and I've thrown this out for the last uh, several episodes. So what is your favorite Billy Joel era? So, so why don't I start with John Casey? You can, you can think about that for a minute. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll throw this to the Billy Joel fan. So what's your favorite? <laughs> we, we, and we can't decide, we can't decide whether or not we want to just tell people in advance come prepared with your favorite Billy Joel song, or should we say, what's your favorite Billy Joel era? <laughs> or is it not going to be like a Billy Joel yay or nay thing like with Africa? No, no, it's going to be a little more in depth. What, what's an era in this context? Cause um, like... You know, f- the River of Dreams would be like an era. Like that's like kind of the end of the era. I would say, gla- right, right. I would say Glass Houses and nylon curtain would be kind of an era okay well then it's got to be for me it'd be the uh the the height of his fame the stranger in 52nd street okay that one two punch yeah those are both front to back amazing records 52nd street is i think my favorite of his um and those are they're they're both short albums and they're both jam-packed with just amazing songs and i really liked his uh it's kind of hometown jabroni image that he had back then as well. Right. All right, Casey, I gave you time to think about it. Yeah, I appreciate that. It felt very on the spot. Um, I would definitely <laughs> say that I'm a The Stranger fan. I think that's his best work. That I love that record. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely, I mean, I like his cheesier stuff into the 80s too, because I like cheesy 80s music. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed. It is what I'm it about is. it. Yeah, that's something we talk about on my podcast a lot. There's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. No. It's, you just like what you like. No. In, <laughs> yep. In fact, earlier today, I was listening to Corey Hart. I saw that. <laughs> that's awesome. And I'm not ashamed. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, and and I'm sure there's people who are probably looking at my uh, my my photos of what I'm listening to, just going, what in the world like you went from neil diamond to strand of oak okay um yeah sure so anyways um all right so listen broadly yes exactly so casey tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode so i chose patty griffin living with ghosts uh any other records that you thought about or was that like nope I'm, this is the one i'm choosing um i did i thought about tapestry by carol king um, i thought about graceland by paul simon um i thought about jagged little pill but i saw that you'd already done that and we'd already done tapestry as well okay i didn't see that one sorry yeah. but yeah i but this is just uh living with ghosts is just a huge foundational record for me as a songwriter. And so I thought it'd be fun to go back. Yeah. And you even have in your bio, you even say, um, Casey is like Patty Griffin swapping secrets with Karen Carpenter and Anne Lamont. Yes. That's an old bio about me, but yes. Yep. It's perfect. I think it fits very well. Um, keep it. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) So, so a little bio info on the record. So this was Patty's debut studio album. It was released in May of 96. Um, According to billboard, it's her best selling album. Um, And it's, it's interesting because, you know, I had already mentioned we did, we did an episode on silver bell 
that is very produced, um, more of a loud record, and we'll and we'll talk about that here in, in a couple moments because there's uh, there's a there's a whole story on Silver Bell, but this was this was a record that really was a demo, right? They they made the studio album and the label hated it. And right. so she convinced them to release the songwriter demos. And I think that that's just perfect. I mean, uh, if you think back of 95, 96 time period, so that was Lilith. Fair, Lilith, yep. Which mm. was which huge. And everybody was, um, you know, signing, signing acts that were, you know, Jewel, Indigo Girls had a little bit of an extra resurgence because of that. Sarah McLaughlin. Horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, can't talk Lilith Fair without talking. <laughs> you have Alanis at that time, right? Yeah, and, and uh, Natalie Brulia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Meredith Brooks. I mean, there were right. there was a lot of there were a lot of these singer songwriters that were getting noticed because of Lilith Fair, right? And then, and then what I think is really interesting because I I listened I listened to a couple of Patty's records. Um, around when she recorded Silver Bell, because she recorded Silver Bell in what, like 2000, and it didn't get released into like until like 2012 because the record label was like, "This doesn't sound like you." Yeah, they shelved it. And Poor lady can't catch a break. I know she had two records shelved. It's so painful. Oh. And, and here's what I don't understand: so the labels are essentially giving you personnel. They're giving you studio recording time. They want you to um, kind of embrace a bigger sound and then you shelve the records. Right. Makes no sense to me. But so, so with this, um, so I'm, I'm going to read a little something that I, that I found on um, all music. So they, it said that uh, uh, A&M executives were so impressed with, her raw display of talent that they snatched up the tape, which we talked about this, this demo tape and threw it unaltered into the marketplace. So she essentially recorded her songs exactly as she performed them live only armed only with her acoustic guitar and a voice that can rattle fences, which, <laughs> which I thought was, was uh, really indeed cool. it can. Which yeah. Really cool. What other Patty Griffin records do you guys do you guys know, or it? Um, what what do you think about this record as as compared to some of her other records? And not not talking about the gospel record because that's that's a whole different animal. But <laughs> the, the fact that this is this is really scaled down. This feels like there were there were moments while I was listening to this where I. I felt transported back to mid nineties and sitting around a coffee shop. Yeah. I'm a, I'm admittedly unabashedly a huge Patty fan. And so I'm familiar with her catalog throughout. Um, I, my favorite other, my other favorite records of hers are earlier when she gets into downtown church and then, um, servant of love and American kid. I kind of have cuts off of those that I love, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I, I love thousand kisses and I really love impossible dream. There are some amazing songs on that record. Um, 
and children running through is great. Of course, that's the one that kind of pushed her to the next level um, of, of fame or of notoriety, I guess. But she, um, yeah. So I, I kind of like her earlier stuff. Flaming red is fantastic. Um, I wish I could hear her do that now. That's the one right after this record, right? Yeah, that's the one she opened the Dixie Chicks fly tour with. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that's when she kind of gets paired up with some of the folks that will end up being her personnel um, through a number of records, including guitarist Doug Doug Lancio. Yes. Who I absolutely love. Yeah. Very unheralded as a guitarist. I saw him play with John Hyatt, uh, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, and he was just amazing. Yeah, he's so tasteful. Yes, yes. Uh, Definitely one of those guitarists that does not want the spotlight, but everybody wants to work with him. Right. It's a good position to be in. It really is. Yeah. (laughs) Really is, unless you're, you know, in lockdown and nobody can. <laughs> um, all right. A- any other bio info before we start going track by track? Mm, I don't think so. All right, let's do it. So, um, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. This is usually where I throw it to Wayne and say, "How many songs on this record, Wayne?" John, ten. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, so, so top song's going to get 10 points. Next favorite, nine on down to lowest score of one. So let's kick this off. This is first track. This is Moses. So the question that I've got to start out with is, so I'm a big sequence guy. Is this a good way to start out your career and your first record? The hesitation from both of you. (laughs) Well, I want to make sure I understand your question. Is Moses the way is, is that is as the, as your lead song, right? Is this, is this the right choice for your lead in song? I think absolutely. Okay. So why? Um, because I think it is a really great uh, encapsulation of who Patty is as a writer. Like she deals with pain and heartache and sometimes she serves it up with a sliver of hope, but she's unapologetic about addressing the marrow of the human condition and how hard it is. And so I think kind of crying out like, cross the sea of loneliness, part this red river of pain. Like, I think, I think it's a perfect introduction. Yeah. The one thing that I love about certain artists like Patty is that you can take what sounds like an upbeat song and then you start dissecting the lyrics and you go, Oh wow, this is not a happy song. Right. (laughs) And this, this would definitely fall into that category. Yeah. Yeah. And Patty doesn't write a lot of happy songs. 
I mean, no. she says, if you hear her in interviews, I mean, she'll say, I don't, that's not really what I do. I had a friend on Twitter uh, recently who put up a poll that said, when you write, is it easier to write a happy song or a sad song? Oh, sad. And it was like, it was like 90% sad. Oh, sad. So much easier. And and, and I said, well, I, I've written both kinds of songs. I can just sit down and write not knowing what I want to write and a sad song will come out. Every single time I've written a happy song, it's because I sat down and said, I want to write a happy song. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Patty, even on Children Running, Children Running Through, she was challenged by her producer to write a happy song that was just a song oh. about a happy memory. And she wrote Burgundy Shoes, the song about being on the bus with her mom. Um, and the shoes, and it's this beautiful, it's kind of a haunting piano piece uh riff um but she but yeah so she talks about how it's not you know happy songs aren't easy yeah now i gotta go listen to that thanks a lot <laughs> yeah you're welcome <laughs> giving me homework uh, all right so question that i've got is is moses the name of the male that she's hoping to pursue that she's hoping <laughs> will pursue her or is it the name for the name of the pursuer or is this just a metaphor for a bigger meaning um, I think she's a lapsed Catholic, and you see a lot of threads of that through her music. Yeah, yeah. Silver Bell I, definitely, definitely has a, a number of those those uh, themes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get the impression that this is about a literal man <laughs> uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Just, just checking. Just checking. All right, <laughs> all right. Let, let's get some scores on this, uh, Casey. Your score. Six. All right. John? Uh, this is one for me. Okay. Wow. Right off the bat. Um, yeah, I don't... This is a really great record. I'm going to be very nice about all the other songs on this album, but uh, I, right out the gate, I was uh, a little skeptical hearing this one. Okay. I love her unapologetic loneliness that Casey was just talking about, and I love her voice. It's so powerful here. Mm-hmm. But some of the lyrical choices on this didn't ring with me very well. The uh, the chorus uh, kind of clanged with me. Yeah. Talking about the queer? That too. That was also a mark against right. it. The wide it, it was a different air. time. Yeah. The, uh, the, yeah. I, I do love the line, if I die, he'd hear about it eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just cut right to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So John was hoping for a happy song, but didn't get it. <laughs> oh, wait till you hear what my 10 is. Uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. This is my four. Um, all right. So next song is Let Him Fly. It would take an acrobat. I don't really try all that. So I'm going to let him fly. Um, we just did, we just recorded an episode about Fiona Apple and, um, 
my notes here say this this song is uh essentially get gone from Fiona Apple in Patty Griffin's lyrics. <laughs> so, um anyways, what do you guys have to say about let it, let them fly? Well, I think this is like in terms of a lot of like this is the first one that she got cut, right? So this is what the Dixie Chicks cut. So this is like her initial real successful licensed song there's a lot of um covers of this there's some really terrible terrible covers of this song yes they are um, <laughs> just really 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 painful covers of this song um oh and just to go back for a minute did you catch the bet midler cover of moses no yeah no. that's it's hor- it's as horrifying as it as it sounds Okay, that's why I said no. <laughs> and I love Bet. Like I love Bet. Oh, she's she's awesome. But but that, yeah, no, not that. I was like, what is happening here? But Jessica Simpson's "Let Him Fly" is probably my least favorite. So, <sighs> oh my, yeah, um, okay. yeah. Um, so, but I feel like this is one of probably the more um, accessible songs in terms of like. Not necessarily pop form, but like just that feel of like a, an accessible song in a more commercial sense. Well, Agreed. If, well, if Jessica Simpson is covering it, then <laughs> right, you, she's she's obviously seeing okay. There's some pop sensibilities here, but again, it goes back to what I was saying about with Moses. You you start looking at the lyrics and you go. Uh, this isn't a happy song. I mean, just the yeah. just the lyrics of like, um, uh, you know, the light has left his face, but you can't recall just where or why. Um, you know, and going going back to the 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 title of, I said I'm gonna let him fly. Okay, uh, that's not happy. <laughs> I think you have to what you need to let fly is your expectation that any Patty songs are really gonna be happy yeah. when you dig into them. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to push back on that a little bit because, like, it's not super happy, but it's not bitter. It's not angry. It's not no. sad. It's a little sad, I guess. But, like, one of the things I really like about this is sort of the emotional complexity mm-hmm. where uh, she's she's being, I guess, wistful would be the word. Like, yeah, it's sad that this is over, but let's not let's not dwell on it. I'm I'm freeing you. Yeah. And it's not wholly negative. There's a positive angle on this heartbreaking moment. Right. I tried all the aerobatics and uh, I tried all that. So, yeah. Right. But again, I think that's like the humanity that Patty so beautifully taps Mm -hmm. into as a writer. Like her ability to see the complexity and you feel it with her. Like you see the struggle to let go, but just the also recognizing, oh, okay. I just, I need to let him go. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's a, there's a beautiful humanity in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get some scores on this. Uh, this is my eight, John. Uh, six for me. And Casey. Seven. All right. Leads us to next song, which is every little bit. Yeah. 
John, based on the scores, you like this a little more than Casey and I did. Oh, really? What, okay. What'd you like about this? You know, it's funny because it contrasts with uh, Let Him Fly because I was saying, hey, Let Him Fly, I mean, it's a heartbreaking moment, but it's not negative. And here, I mean, she is just, this song is just bleeding with bitterness mm-hmm. and anger, uh, but it's also uh, continuing this pattern of emotional complexity because it's not just like, I'm angry at you. It, she's she's equally angry at herself in this struggle with with um, what's I mean she's struggling with maladaptive behaviors I think so trying to find trying to find some lines in particular yeah trying to trying to find an, a particular line but I I didn't write it down so uh, you know um, I mean I just love the sense of struggle, this idea that, like, I do so many things to numb the pain, but tonight I'm just going to feel it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, uh, and the melody that carries that heightened emotion, it's soaring, it's rhapsodic. I love the melody. I can't sing along to it to save my life, but uh, but it's, it's a beautiful melody, and her voice is, re- you know, it's that rattling the fences thing yeah. again, because she is really really belting it out on this one uh and uh i also this is a personal thing but i I love that little trick where there's no title track but then the title of the album is tucked away inside the lyrics of one of the songs (laughs) yeah uh and this would be it i like that i still don't blame you for leaving baby it's cold living with ghosts so there you go casey what do you got on this one so uh this song for me when I first heard it. So I'm going to give you a moment of history um, that I probably should have given you in the bio section, but I didn't. (laughs) Um, So I went to uh, school in Nashville. I I finished school in Nashville after a, a, come on, Casey, use your words. You're on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's frozen in front of the mic syndrome. (laughs) I moved to uh, Nashville after a short break from college in treatment for an Ean disorder. And um, I ended up, I was an opera major at Indiana University, and I ended up going to Belmont University and switching my major to commercial music and commercial voice performance. And um, in my first year at Belmont in 1995, uh, this never before heard of person named Patty Griffin came to perform for us. And she performed before living with ghosts was out. And I will never forget standing there and listening to this tiny person sing these songs, these notes, just her and a guitar. And I was enraptured by her, her whole presence, her songwriting, her voice, like the fact that she was unleashed and untamed in that way, vocally, um, just lit a fire in me and it kind of let me in a time when I was breaking free from my own ghosts um, and my own demons and trying to start new. um, I was kind of birthed raw into the world out of treatment into a new life where I was trying to find my way emotionally. And, um, and so 
Patty's music found me in a season of just complete rawness. And I think that's why this record is so important to me because her ability to put herself out there in all of her forms um, was so appealing to me because it's what I needed. I needed to learn how to express my feelings um, because I needed, I wanted to live. Um, But I also, I was just in awe of her ability to do that. So this song for me at the time um, was kind of scandalous. I was kind of a goody goody, um, pretty prude. Um, You know, I liked Jesus a whole lot at the time. I still, I'm okay with him, but I don't like a lot of his followers. And um, so, so this song for me was like, what on earth just happened? Is she really saying those things? But it was so liberating. Like this was like her liberation, her first sign of like, oh no, I'm not doing it the way that the the world says I'm supposed to do this, you know? Um, And I loved that the same way I loved parts of Jagged Little Pill, you know? Um, Those were the same kind of places in me that it evoked as a woman, as a young girl. Um, but her, you know, her words, like I stay unseen by the light. I stay untold by the truth. I am sold by a lie. Like, Oh my gosh. Like that is just beautiful work. Like that is craft. Like, and then just her ability vocally to convey that just blew me away. And I used to go here. I mean, I would go here at this place called Jack's Guitar Bar in Nashville, where I played an open mic and her little posters are on the wall for $5 cover, you know? Um, so, so yeah, to say I go way back with this whole thing <laughs> is putting it lightly, but I, yeah. so this song is scandalous. It's not my favorite on the record by any means, but I, I very much appreciate it for what it is. Right. Did you feel like as a, as a female, that this was empowering to you because you're like, wait, between her and Alanis, like we can actually have a voice out there and say the same things that all the dudes out there are saying yet um, do it in our own kind of way. Absolutely. And I think that um, I had, I had just met my voice Right. So I was 21 and scared and really, really, um, I don't use the word broken about myself anymore, but I was very, um, hurt by a lot of trauma. And, um, you know, I'm pretty open about my story. I'm a sexual abuse survivor. And, um, all of that had just opened up inside of me and kind of come into the light, um, for the first time during this season. And so, so to say that I was living on the edge of my truth and this kind of song was like the ability to, to just sing at the top of my lungs. Like she definitely showed me the way, I mean, Alanis, uh, Tori Amos, uh, Patty, you know, their ability to speak about things that were real and raw and taboo, like I hadn't even glimpsed knowing how to do any of that at the time, but they for sure paved a way for women like me. That's awesome. I almost want to end the episode right there. That was beautiful. <laughs> no, yeah. It's a nice button. Yeah, it's, great. it's great. Thank you for that backstory. Oh, you're All welcome. Right. All right. Um, why don't we get some, some scores and move on. So sure. John, what do you got? 10. This, this was my 10. This was your 10. 
and Casey. Yeah. Oh my God, this song. <laughs> <laughs> this is four for me. All right, and this is my wow. five. All right, uh, next song. Time will do the talking. What do you have all for notes? Because I got nothing other than I said, I like the lyrics, but I can say that for most of the songs on the record. (laughs) (laughs) I called this one of the, one of the two, you know, if you can hear the quote marks around this, but the two pop songs Mm -hmm. on this album, uh, I really, uh, I liken it to let him fly. I I lump these two together uh, in my head. Yep. I agree with you, John. I, um, this is really accessible. I used to cover this song in my early career. Um, do you have it recorded? I'd love to hear that. You know, I, well, I don't know. I'd have to go into some archives. I don't think I, I don't know (laughs) if I do. I know I have a recording of me singing nobody's crying, which is from a different album, but, um, that's my most favorite Patty song, but, um, I don't know if we have a recording. I'll have to go look and see. my husband would know he has all the archives, <laughs> um, very organized. Um, but yeah, this song is accessible. I think there's some amazing vocal moments on this song. Um, oh, yeah. just her, her range and her ability to flip in between her registers as a, as a singer. Like I admire what she did here. Her use of melody is, um, it's not mundane. There are parts of it right. that feel uh, pedestrian, but when you really kind of get into it, it is not an easy song to execute. Oh, yeah. 100%. Gotcha. Similar to Let Him Fly, this is another one of those songs that's sitting in this, uh, that's that's kind of tranquil in its discomfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels kind of zen for that. Like, hey, this is, this is a terrible moment, but, you know, time, you know, with time, we'll be able to see the real truth of all this. It reminded me... If I can get all English major on you guys for a minute, it Do reminded it. me of this quote: uh, "Poetry is the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. It takes its origin from emotion recollected in tranquility." Do you recognize that? I should, right? I mean, William English. Wordsworth. Okay. Mm. Okay. <laughs> William Wordsworth. That was his sort of thesis statement of what a poem is, and I think that definitely applies to this song because you could hear the the powerful emotion but you can also hear the tranquility in this song or as Um, she says uh make a pretty memory out of my disgrace oh yes i love that line i I had that one asterisk me too me too (laughs) yeah well and again i'm not i'm gonna sound like a broken record revisited but the (laughs) like (laughs) her ability to own her own stuff right in the midst of a situation and that is the humanity that's the marrow of like oh man i got a little bit more mud on my face and you know like, kind of what you just said make a pretty memory out of my disgrace like her ability to say okay i'm taking stock of the situation <laughs> and i can own where i am yeah yeah 
hundred percent. Yep, it's great. I feel bad about my score. Um, <laughs> I do. I I say this like three or four times an episode. I swear. And uh, this one, oh. I definitely do. Uh, this is my three. Casey, what's your score? <laughs> this is my five. Okay, and then John. Seven for me. All right. So next song is Mad Mission. Under difficult conditions, not everybody makes it to the loving cup. It's a mad mission, but I got the ambition. Mad, mad mission. Sign me up. I think I've seen a look before. Yes, it's kind of non-committal. Join the club, the last to say there's no such thing as love. It's a mad mission under difficult conditions. Not everybody makes it to the loving cup. It's a mad mission, but I got the ambition. Mad, mad mission. And score wise, we didn't we didn't like Mad Mission as, as much as some of the other songs. Um, <laughs> I think it for me because this one's happy. I know, maybe that's the reason why. <laughs> I, I think phonetically, though, I think phonetically the chorus is just not as strong as some of the other verses and choruses on this this record. Because Agreed. You know, when she says, but I got the ambition, mad, mad mission. I don't know. It's just those were the words that you wanted to select. So, again, I, I don't hate the song. <laughs> it just it just when you when you have to stack this up against all the other songs on this record. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's always felt like I think it's a fun song. And if you're in the right mood with the windows down and you can sing it and it's fun, but it's always felt a little bit like filler to me. Okay. Just a, yeah. just just a moment of filler. I think it has I think it's a fun song, but but it's not it's not my favorite either. I think she knew that I mean it's 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 not as complex it's not as complicated emotionally or musically as I guess probably any other song on this album. Uh, and I think she acknowledges that too, just by the length of the song. This is the shortest song on the record, right? Yeah. Well, and that hook and the guitar, though, that'll get you. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's a, I can hear it in my head right now without you know even with no recall. It's like oh oh yeah, But but then you have like the at the end. Sometimes you find yourself flying low at night, flying light blind and looking for any sign of light. You're cold and scared and all alone. You do anything just to make it home again. Like it's not all happy. No. Like it's got reality in it. Yeah. This song does have a really striking opening line, which is, which is also something I always look for uh, in a song. We were drinking like the Irish, but we were drinking scotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> See, it's just, yeah, this, this whole record is just full of great lyrics. Um, all right. Uh, so this is my low score. Casey. It's a one. Okay. And then John, I give it a three. So, all right. So spoiler alert, lowest, lowest score. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, next song is poor man's house.
better we're living in a poor man's house Seems like everywhere we go they find us So good. It's really good. I kept coming back to the song again and again this week while I was listening. I love a good story song, and I think that this kind of fits the bill for this. And that ending is powerful. When yep. she, oh, she's going God. going from the fairly soft singer-songwriter to beating that guitar. I mean, that's just symbolic of the world, just beating down this poor man. And I it, it resonated. Yeah, and notably that that final chord that she's just pounding out is not a resolution musically no. either. I mean, it's it's not in the least. <laughs> it's discordant. It 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 leaves the tension hanging in the air at the end of that song. Yeah, this song is a masterpiece to me. I mean, it's when I if you get into it, I um I covered this song too for a while for a, for a season. Um, I pull it out every now and then. Um, and I don't do a ton of covers, but I do some Patty covers. Um, yeah. But the she wrote this about her. This was inspired by her grandparents, by her grandfather, Joe. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure he was the son of in- immigrants. Um, and she talks about how they had to scrape and, you know, just the, the living in lack um, and the toll that it took on them the lines of your daddy's poor today and he will be poor forever. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to this record um, while I took a walk this morning. Um, Cause I have to get out of my house and away from my children for at least, you know, 30 minutes a day. Uh, hard same COVID time. <laughs> like I will, I was listening to a walk in the dog. So, you know, yeah, I was listening to it and I um, honestly, I got choked up listening to the song because I thought, why isn't this different now? You know, like I thought like this record is from 1996 and why is, why do we live in the same time? Why are, do these people, why, why haven't we figured out a way to help our fellow man in a way that, that this isn't, this is still the reality. It's because we have Twitter and Facebook right now. I guess divide us. (laughs) I guess so. I watched um, Just Mercy last night, that movie, and I highly recommend it. But it will it'll do a number on your on your eyeballs. My eyeballs were leaking the whole time, and um, anyway, so my heart was kind of tender about systemic oppression and poverty. And um, but this, yeah, this song is full of a. It's really fun to sing, and the melody, the way it all kind of weaves together, is brilliant. Um, but so count your ribs and say your prayers and get to sleep. Oh yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, just a gorgeous, gorgeous work, really hard to hear, but also beautiful. Uh, Yeah. One of the things that stands out about it to me is sort of the, the child's perspective 
that that's heavily uh, highlighted in the lyrics, uh, and it creates this interesting kind of reversal of cause and effect here, where um, it, it it's the children aren't themselves poor; they just live in a poor man's house, right? Which is technically true, in a way that sort of intentionally elides over the like systemic causes of all this stuff uh, because from a child's perspective that's the way it works um, which creates this interesting philosophical angle on what what even is what what does poor even mean mm. in this context yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what does it mean to be poor and when, when when you grow up and realize that you are poor sort of a loss of innocence moment right god that's good john yeah Seems like everywhere they go, we go, they find us out. Yeah. So so good. So good. All right. This is my top score. John. Man, I feel bad about not giving this a couple more points. This was this was five for me. Okay. Like, this great song was the middle of the album. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this is my eight. All right. Uh, next song is Forgiveness. Is this the recovering Catholic in her? <laughs> the forgiveness? I think probably some of that, yeah. I just want to point out real quick. It was at this point, the seventh song on the album, that I realized that the whole thing had just been solo guitar. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> like, I was like, hey, it's an acoustic. No- Wait a minute. And then I kind of rewound in my head, like, oh, they've all been acoustic. Right. Wow. Right. <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> she fills the space with her voice and the guitar so amazingly that I literally didn't notice until the album was two-thirds over. That, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so Casey, looking at uh, scores, yes. I, I get to see them in advance, so tell me why you <laughs> love this song. Um, well, I, you know, so... If I it was really hard for me to choose the top song between three songs um, because I I love them I think they're all masterpieces I think this song gosh I think I think for me it goes back to the time of my life that I first heard it which I spoke of earlier um, you know I was grappling with so many different aspects of my life spiritually and um 
to be in situations that I'm going to get real honest here. I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable, (laughs) but that's who I am. I'm just kind of pretty much an open book about things. But I think to be in a place of my life where uh, kind of the, the idea from my childhood that haunted me up into well into adulthood was the idea that no one came for me. Um, Mm. And so this idea that, you know, uh, the planes keep flying right over our heads, no matter how loud we shout, Hey, Hey, we keep waving and waving our arms in the air, but we're all tired out. Like just the open your eyes, boy, we made it through the night. Like this idea of survival of really hard things. Like there's so much suffering in this song, but also like this, she brings to it kind of a, I don't know what the right word is. Like, it's not comical, but like kind of a, well, like open your, we, we made it here. We are like, there's, there's a bit (laughs) of like lightness to the way that she handles it kind of that you can see a bit of her personality in that. But at the same time, you know, we are not snakes and what's more, we never will be. Like, I think the idea that we grapple with ourselves and our own goodness and our own worth and, um, for me, this song, because of my kind of complicated spiritual upbringing, um, it came to me at the right time. You know, when a song finds you and it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's exactly what you needed and you almost marinate in it and it frees you. Um, that was the song for me. Like the idea that we are not snakes and what's more, we never will be like, um, there's so much power in that and so much truth in that. And, um, as a, from a songwriting perspective, I, the genius in this song just blows me over every time. It, it's never old. Beautiful. Beautiful. John, you got anything on this? Yeah, I wanted to say, I mean, I loved that this was sort of built around this conceit of a, of a destructive hurricane. And, you know, you could talk about it. I mean, the obvious angle on that is just to, to take in the devastation and be, you know, uh, and uh, linger on the the sadness and loss. Uh, but the angle of this song is that that devastation is a is a purgative force, and actually linking it to this idea of forgiveness and linking that to sort of a biblical grace uh, is is a really original angle on it. Um, that uh, that really gives this song gives this song multiple facets yeah yeah all right this is my nine john even after saying that this is only four for me yeah. it's all good it's all good such an album and casey this is 10 yeah after that personal uh <laughs> you know that yeah that couldn't be anything more than uh what it is so that's Fantastic. All right. Uh, next song is uh, You Never Get What You Want. Let me out one day And you told me how to act and what to 
And my notes here, uh, let me just read my notes on this. So this, I wrote this after the fourth time I listened to this record without looking at lyrics. Usually I look at lyrics like a couple days in advance of, of us doing, doing this episode. Um, so I said, the first couple times I listened to this record, I thought this is the only angry song on the record. Oh. <laughs> and and then I looked at all of the other lyrics and realized, nope, this is just an angry tone. Yeah. That's that that is equated with the lyrics of the song. So maybe it's the the fact that, you know, she kind of does a little bit of a snarky baby the way that she yeah. pronounces that <laughs> where, you know, that's the angry tone. If she would have done some of those angry tones in some of the other songs, then I think you would know without having to peel back the lyrics that those are some angry songs, but this, this definitely, she wanted that in the forefront and um, you get that full, full throttle. What do you guys have to say about this song? Well, this is one of those songs where I hear what she means when she speaks about her early career, when she saw herself as a rocker and not a folky. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like she very much when they when this record came out the way it did as just the demos. And she's like, wait, what do you mean? Like she took when people called her a folk singer, she took it as like an affront. Like, it was like, what do you mean I'm a folk singer? Like, she said, it sounds like you put, I read a quote that said, it's sounding like you're putting me out in the pasture with the daisies. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is this, this is one of the songs on the record and every little bit is the same, you know, where you hear kind of that rock side of her, yeah. um, that influence. And um, this, this song, for some reason, I think it's, I think it's fun to sing along to her to this, but um it's got a lot of edge to it, you know, like, and it feels different than every little bit to me. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think there's a lot of liberation in it. Like just a lot of like woman stepping back and going, Oh, like I was in my holding pin and you know, all that, that kind of opening stop to take a look and stuck your finger in. Uh, I bit one off and you came back again and again. Um you know, the nice people let me out one day. <laughs> you told me how to act and what to say. Like, I feel like there's so much of, again, like there's unfortunately a timeless female message in that, you know, like um, her, her feminism in this is, is pretty out front, mm-hmm. like in a good way, in a necessary way. Yeah, absolutely. John, you got anything on this or should we get some scores? <laughs> Let's jump to the scores on this one. All right. One. This is my two. John? Mine as well. All right. Ooh, mine too. All right. We're all matching. Wow. Matching the deuces. All right. How all often right. does that happen? Not not often. <laughs> not often. <laughs> Three of a kind. Yeah. And I will tell you, John, I mean, just looking at, at the, the scores of this, um, we all listened to the same record, but we all absorbed it differently. I mean, yeah. Casey, you definitely have the, the the personal stories that go along with with the way that you consume this record, and um, you know, we we John and I are are very different in our scores as well. Sure. So, 
and that's and that's the beauty that's the beauty of this podcast yeah i mean admittedly taking it in at a a little more of a distance i think that's cool though i mean that's the beauty of music right yeah yeah. (laughs) all right um next song is sweet lorraine love this song yeah yes this was the first song the pe- first patty song i ever covered this was like my very early i figured out how to play it and this this is such a great story song it blows me away still looking at the lyrics um beautiful song yeah heartbreaking song too like beautiful hard like yes. brutal brutal and yes. beautiful together yes brutal um Yeah. There's so many lines in here. You know, her father would tear out like the page of a Bible that he'd burn down the house to announce his arrival. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, there's so much heartbreak in it. Yeah. I mean, the beauty is that this is a woman whose family seems to have never really accepted her, but they still lash out at her for leaving. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like poor man's house, right? Like there's an element of, you know, who knew that sunshine, she came from a long line of drinkers and dreamers who knew that sunshine don't hold up to dark, whose businesses fail, who sleep in the park. Yeah. Like, you know, she paints a picture. It's not pretty, like, but it's so human. It's so real. Um, and I feel like Lorraine, unlike a lot of the the portraits in this album, she kind of gets a happy ending, right? I mean, it, right, ambiguously so. But I was going to say, really, okay, yeah, mm. she gets out. It's only your hope and your heart that gets killed. You know, right, right. It gets harder and harder to believe in magic when what came before you is so very tragic. Yeah, it, yeah. it's yeah. it's a hard song. It's good. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's sweet Lorraine, right? Right. Yeah. It's isn't that interesting? Sweet Lorraine. Right. Yeah. Um, and even the the riff on the guitar, like the way that the chords bounce from one oh, to the yeah. other, it's one of those songs that that feels a little bit happy mm-hmm. in its presentation, but is nothing. Yeah. There's nothing happy about it. I, I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> 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 yeah, we didn't come for happy. <laughs> no. No, we did not come for happy. All right, Casey, what's your score? This is my nine. All right. And John? I had it at a nine and then at the last minute changed it to eight. There you go. All right, this is my seven. All right, and let's wrap this up. This is last song, Not Alone. And you are not Playing in the light 
And um, I struggled with my score for this one because I, I at one point had this as high as my nine, and wow, yeah, it didn't it didn't last. Um, but I, but I like it as a as an album closer. Oh yeah, because I I I I feel like as soon as I was done with it, I was like, um, I'm gonna listen to this again. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she Patty talks about at this time of her career how she liked to end records with a slow song, like something that kind of takes you out yeah. in a different in a different posture than you came in. Um and I was the same uh, Ben. I I moved this up and down a bit. Um I think this is a beautiful song. I just have a lot of really emotional ties to a lot of the other songs, so yeah. it didn't end up as high as it might have. Right. I think it's a a beautiful a beautiful piece of work and I think it's um really welcome when you get through all of that angst and heartbreak. Um and this isn't uh you know, I mean this is a, easily the most hopeful song on the record. You know. Yeah. John, what do you got on Not Alone? I was wondering, is the the woman character in this song supposed to be Lorraine? Is this Sweet Lorraine Part 2? Hmm. I, I didn't equate that, but... That, that thought definitely popped into my head. Okay. I really liked how uh, the, the meaning of the chorus kind of changed uh, f- with each iteration of it, from the first to the second... Um, mm-hmm. how, uh, you know, not, the meaning of not alone changed, how, you know, he's helping her through her anxiety and saying, you don't have to deal with this alone. And then he gets taken away. I also, this is one of those like magic moments because during that second verse, uh, I, I had to, I thought I was hearing things, so I actually did some research and, and realized that she had recorded this with the window open. So you can hear yeah. uh, an ambulance going by. Sirens. A little yeah. s- sirens during that verse about about the shooting, which just, it sends chills down my spine. It is so tragic and beautiful and, and bring, moved me to tears. I mean... After such a journey of an album, so many emotions, so many facets, uh, this I, I agree that this is a very appropriate closer, um, and I just love this song. All right, um, let's get some scores on this, John. Uh, this was nine for me. All right, Casey. Mm-hmm. I put it at three. And this is my six. Remember how I said we're all over the place? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Well, um, this is usually the part where I go, did we miss anything? Did we cover it? (laughs) Um, I think we covered it. I think we covered it. Seems Uh, like it. Yeah. All right. So based on scores, what do you guys think our, our top song was? Sweet Lorraine. Sweet Lorraine was number one with the average score of eight. Wow. We had a tie for second. Poor Man's House and Forgiveness was a 7.66. Number four was Let Him Fly. 
That was an average score of seven. And then not by much, but uh, every little bit was a 6.33 average score. So that's our our fifth. Um, so um, sorry, John, but um, Casey's yeah. three knocked not alone out of I, the top. I, I helped it up as far as it got. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's a beautiful sign. But I think this is that's a pretty solid top five if I'm looking at this correctly. So. Yeah, if you have Poor Man's House and Forgiveness and Sweet Lorraine in the top three, then that's that's the right. Yeah. That we we did right by I it. I think so too. Yeah. Guys, this was this was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. What yeah. fun. Yes, this yeah. was fun. Thanks for having me on, Ben. So so this is where I let you guys plug your plug away. So so John, tell tell about your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so uh I um now I have frozen in front of the mic syndrome. <laughs> uh, I produce and co-host uh, with my brother a podcast called Play Disc, P-L-A-Y-D-I-S-C. Uh, it's not unlike this. We take a f- close look at a full album. Uh, we're not uh, guest-based, so my brother and I mostly choose and curate uh, the albums that we're going to discuss. We tend to pick things that we kind of have an angle on. We also do take requests and we roll dice for those requests. So as a matter of fact, uh, we are, uh, next week, we're going to be publishing an album based on a request that one of our interview guests had made, uh, which was uh, death cab for cutie. Um, Ben, when is this episode getting published? Uh, three weeks from now. Okay. So that'll already be out by the time this is, uh, (laughs) by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but yeah, we had somebody request, uh, transatlanticism by death cab for cutie. So we got an hour long discussion on that coming up. Um, and, uh, you know, we try to be thoughtful. We try to be open-minded. We try to keep it lighthearted and, and, uh, you know, neither of us is a professional comedian, but we tell jokes. I think we tell, uh, air quotes, jokes, uh, and, uh, you know, dad, try, jokes. dad jokes. Dad jokes. I've got that. Uh, I've got that daditude going on. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, whereas he's he's the the hip youth. Uh, so that's our that's our contrasting energy on our show. You can find us on any podcast app, Play Disc. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all under the handle Play Disc Podcast. So uh, hit us up there. We're happy for every follower, every comment, uh, any any joining of the conversation. Or find him at John's Twitter listening party. Yes, I also have a personal Twitter account, which I could read aloud, but really just find it from the from the PlayDisc account. Anytime I tweet anything relevant, the PlayDisc account retweets it, so it's fine. There you go. How about you, Casey? Tell 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 people where they can find you. Sure. Um, you can find me online at kcclifford.com. Um, just a note for listeners, my name is initials like Kansas City or KC and the Sunshine Band, um, although my band would definitely be partly cloudy. Um, I uh, So kcclifford.com is my main hub for my website. I'm also on Insta and Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, but not really. Um, <laughs> so also, please go find me on Spotify. One thing that an eight-year break will do to a career when – Spotify really wasn't a thing during that before that break is that it'll make you real humble when you come back to your career with Spotify numbers and go, Oh gosh, that's sad. So um, would love some follows on Spotify. If you like what you hear. Um, I also, um, 
have a community that I've started um, around some of the writing that I do. And um, I do a thing online called truth booking, which is basically just trying to bring a little bit of honesty and vulnerability into the social media space, because I think people have a tendency to just show their highlight reels and not their real lives. And I think we all could use a little bit more feeling like we're not alone. Um, And so I started a community called the generous kind which you can find at thegenerouskind.com. And um, it's a private uh, community that is um, based on learning how to express our feelings and uh, find our voices and be more vulnerable and real with our stories. Um, It's a place to hear and hold the stories of others. Um, So it's a little bit of that kind of that song salt I was talking about, just the ability to to bring some more empathy and kindness to the world. And we've been talking a lot about a lot of feelings we've been having during this pandemic time. And so, um, but we're building a community there and it's, it's pretty sweet. So um, that's the generous kind.com. If anybody's in- interested in that. Excellent. Great. That's, that that's awesome. All right. So last question uh, for Casey. So uh, I lift this question from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando. Uh, he asks, who do you know that I don't know who should come on my podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Um, well, the very first person I would say, and this is not something I would normally do, but I think that you would love talking to my husband. His name is David and he has a band called Dr. Pants. Um, and it's like a, a geek. Yes, exactly. It's a geek rock sort of thing. Um, but he is, just he just comes alive when he talks about records and i think you guys might have a really fun conversation um so that would be my first recommendation and it's not like a shameless plug i think you it would really be fun for both of you but um i also was thinking about my friend betty sue i don't know if you're familiar with betty sue from austin she's a songwriter um betty is uh she's so much cooler than i am um but she could dissect a record she just has really cool taste and her ear and the way that she latches on to the production and stuff like that is really, um, she could talk about that stuff for a long time. I think she'd be a really fun person to, to talk to. All right. We'll chat offline. Those, (laughs) those, those sound like some good, good referrals. Yeah, definitely. All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes. Just go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Like John, you can find all of our episodes on all the major platforms. You know where to find them. Uh, and you can find us on on all of those platforms. Please go subscribe and rate or review us as well. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you right now to go to a live show that's part of the outro, but you know the drill. So go check out your favorite musicians on all the major internet platforms, the Instagram lives, Facebook lives, the YouTubes, um, go, go support your favorites, buy a t-shirt of the band, buy a record, maybe a self-titled record from Casey Clifford. We are records revisited and we are out. out.